It's amazing what God can do when we let him use us. I'm really overwhelmed tonight. And as we worshiped there, I have my notes here. I've prepared for this day. But I honestly don't know where God's going to take it tonight. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit flow. The video that you just saw was from the trip that Kayla and I went back in June. And I remember last year when God laid on my heart to first go to Kome Island. The very moment that we arrived on the island, I could feel and smell how dark that place was, how oppressed the people on this beautiful island were. And I remember telling God, how on earth are we going to reach this place? There's no way in my flesh, there's no way in my abilities that would be able to reach that community and see churches planted. That was back in October. Came back home, prayed, and God gave us a team. And in June, we went for the first time. Two trips, 1,600 people prayed to accept Jesus. 11 new churches were started. It's amazing what God can do when we let him use us. You know, I'm not like most of you. My story is simple. When I was young, my parents separated. I didn't get to go to school like most of you. I was denied every opportunity to have a better life. The very people that I had hoped would protect me and keep me and take care of me left me. Even the church that I used to go as a kid, where my parents and I went, they were not there for me. I felt the church had left me alone and my parents also left me. And so I started living in the streets in Tanzania as a street kid. And I promise, what I'm sharing now is not in my notes. <laughs> I wasn't planning to share, but I just feel God wanting me to share this with you. And life was so hard for me in the streets. I felt unwanted. I felt unworthy. I remember one day, I went to my parents' house, and I knew every Sunday, you know, they would go to church, and, and so I'd sneak into the house, and I knew where food was, so I'd steal food and go and share with other street kids, and 
did that for many, many, many weeks, and I guess my dad noticed that. And so one day, I came home, and he was there. He caught me, gave me a very bad beating, and I was bleeding all over. And I remember his last words to me were, if you ever come back to my house, then I'll kill you. And at that moment, <laughs> I had one thing in mind, to go and end my life. I was like, okay, my dad doesn't want me. My mom left. I don't have good education as other kids are having. I don't have food. The church is not there for me. No one wants me. What's the purpose for me leaving? So I decided to commit suicide. And I had everything that I needed to take my life. And at that moment, <laughs> that night, it was raining, it was under a bridge, that's where I would spend the night every day. And the very moment when I needed to take those drugs and overdose myself and take my life, I had an audible voice speak to me and say, give me one more day. I had never had in my life God speak. I had had at church being preached that, you know, God speaks to his people. I had no idea that God had spoken to me. But the voice was so clear, give me one more day. And as I'm processing through all this and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, what does this mean? Who is this person speaking to me? I turn around, there's no one there, I'm the only person. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I feel this peace in me, and then I feel like someone is whispering to me and tell me, go to Mwanza. Now Mwanza is a bigger city. When we take our teams to Tanzania and go and work on the islands, we fly to Mwanza, then get on a bus, get on a boat, and go to the islands. But when all this was happening, I was in Mugumu, the village where I was born, and it's like seven hours away from Mwanza. I had never been to Mwanza before, so I had grown up and lived in this small town where everyone knew our family, everyone knew who we are. And I knew when my dad and mom separated, my mom had moved to Mwanza. So as I'm thinking through this, this voice is like, okay, go to Mwanza. And I'm like, okay, the first voice said, give me one more day. I don't know if one more day means 12 hours or 24 hours. Either way, okay, now I'm being told, go to Mwanza. Okay, I'm going to travel to Mwanza next morning. If by the end of the day, I don't find my mom, then I'm going to take my life. So next morning, I get on a bus, seven hours, I'm in Mwanza. I am shocked. Kayla, you've been to Mwanza. Once it's a huge city of like two million people. <laughs> and I'm like, where do I start? Where do I go? But in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, it's a small town like Mugumu. The very first person I see, I'll ask them about my mom. They'll know who she is. Nope. Talk to person number one, number two, number three. They look at me. Well, it's one of those street kids. No one cared. They were mean to me. The only tiny hope that I was holding was there was a voice yesterday that spoke to me and said, give me one more day. If at the end of the day today, 
I don't find my mom, then I'll take my life. After hours of being lost in this big city, finally, I hear someone call out my name. And I turn around, it's a person I knew from the same village. And he asked me, Yusuf, what are you doing here? When did you get here? So I start sharing with him. And my desire to want to go and seek my, and find my mom. And he's like, well, yeah, I know where your mom lives. I'll take you there. It's like a miracle. Like, yeah, you know where my mom is? Let's go. So I go reunite with my mom. At that point, she's a believer. I start living with her. And through her, I came to know the Lord. It was June 30th of 2002 when I surrendered my life to Jesus. The fact that I'm standing here, it's a miracle. I'm one of those people that was not supposed to be alive, was left and felt unworthy, and felt this world didn't need me. But my God, the God we serve, the God of the Bible, <laughs> loves us so much. The Bible says, while, while we were still sinners, while we were unlovable, God sent his son to come and die for us. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I want you to know that God loves you so much. You may have doubted that, but I want you to know that God loves you so much. He's kept me alive till this time to come and tell you. He sent me all the way from Africa. <laughs> you had Jacob on the video, five or six points. <laughs> Take us three days to travel to come here and tell you he loves you so much. Isaiah, I'll go back to my notes. <laughs> Isaiah 6, 8, the Bible says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah speaking, said, here I am, send me. I want to talk to you about missions. Something that's so, so dear to my heart. I feel like God has equipped me to do nothing else other than tell people about Jesus. He's taken me to all over the world, to different countries in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, and now here in America, to share the good news of Jesus. And I remember when I was still living in the streets in Mugumu as a street kid, as you can remember in my story, one of the ways, it was very hard for us to be able to get food. So we'd go in and steal food, and other times we'd go to a restaurant and wait at the very night when they're about to close, and we'll wait for their leftovers. So we'll go get their leftovers, and that's how we'd get our meal. And I remember September 11 of 2001, I was in one of the restaurants waiting for them to throw their leftovers so I can have food. And they also had a TV that was going on, and they were showing events of what was happening in America. 
Sunday was the 15th anniversary of September 11. Now, as a kid in Africa, I'm looking at the screen and I'm seeing everything that was happening. And I thought maybe it was a movie, but no, they don't show movies on national television. So I'm trying to understand what's going on, what's happening. And I see all that, and that, at that time, it didn't make sense to me. Years later, I was like, oh, yeah, that's what had happened. And then when I moved here, a friend gave me a book titled Why We Fight. Why does America go to war? Why do America go to war? And they talk about different reasons, and they mention September 11 as one of them. And basically, the author of that book is trying to explain that the reason that America got to war because this country is worth fighting for. If someone attacks us, then we're going to go and attack them as well. Now, different people have different views, but I just feel the title of the book, Why Do We Fight? Why does America fight? And I kept thinking about it. And as I was planning on, OK, what should I share tonight, the same question came to me, but in a different way. Why should we go? Why is it worth going to a remote village in Tanzania, like Kome Island, to tell people about Jesus? Why? Why would someone like Kalal, Don, who have gone to Tanzania, leave all the comfort that you have here, running water, nice food? Because when you come to Tanzania, you have rice and beans almost every single day. <laughs> and sardines. <laughs> and sleep on a tent. Why would you leave all that comfort to go to a remote place like that? Why would you leave your neighborhood to go to the next neighborhood and tell them about Jesus. Hudson Taylor, who was a former director of China Inland Missions, he was interviewing some missionaries who wanted to go and be missionaries in China, and he asked them this question, why do you want to go? And some of them responded by saying, well, we are going because Christ has commanded us to go. The other person replied, another group replied by saying, because millions are perishing without Christ. And many other gave answers that were similar to those. And finally, Brother Taylor looked at them and said, all these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trial, tribulation, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love for Christ. See, I don't go and share the gospel because I've been commanded in the Bible, even though that's one of the reasons. I don't go to this remote place of the world because people are changed, even though that's one of the many reasons. The reason I go 
the reason we should go should be the love for Christ. Because we know what God has done for us. We've seen the work of Jesus on the cross. As I said earlier, I stand here as a miracle. I see what God has done in my life. And I'm like, this should be a reason in itself for me to go. Because I love God so much. I'm in love with him. A lot of us have used the verse from Isaiah 6, 8. You know, here I am, send me. But before Isaiah said, here I am, send me, Lord, go to verse 1, 2, and 3 and see what had happened. Before he said, here I am, send me, he saw God. He saw God in his majesty. He saw how pure God was. He fell in love with God. He said, woe to me, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me. Make me yours, make me holy. He saw angels singing, holy and holy. You are God. After that experience, that's when he said, here I am, send me. He fell in love with God. How much are you in love with God? Okay, let me put it this way. Tell me the last time you told someone about Jesus. Tell me the last time you shared the good news. Tell me the last time you shared the gospel. And I'll tell you how much you love God. Yeah, I love, well, my actions, you know, I love people and I don't have to go and, you know, tell them about Jesus. You know, I give to church and, you know, I'm a good person and all those are good, all those are true. But I can guarantee you 99% of people who says, you know, we love with our actions, even though it's true, we have to love with our actions. But 99% of people who says that use that as an excuse not to go and verbally share the truth and share the gospel. Because if you know what God has done for you, there's no way you can remain silent. Who has been forgiven less will love less. Who have been forgiven more will love more. I know what God has done for me. I know where I was. I know how my life was. I know I was going south. God rescued me from that. There's no way I can remain quiet. And remember also Brother Taylor said, <laughs> what will sustain us? It's not because there's a command in the Bible that says go. No, it's how much we love Jesus. When trial come, I'm telling you, America, one, y'all should be so, so thankful that you have a country that we can come here and worship God so freely. You should be so thankful. But let me tell you, persecution is coming. It's already here. You are not going to remain committed into your faith because just this book says 
you know, says so. If you don't love Jesus, if you can't lay down your life for him, there's no way you'll stand. There's no way, no way you'll stand. Go and talk to people in the Middle East, in countries like Syria or Iraq. For years, the church has been praying for revival. Because these are one of the hardest places to go in the world and share the gospel. And people have been praying for revival. God, open doors for us to go. Christians who have been in Syria and Iraq and all these other crazy countries, Somalia in, Tanzania, in East Africa, been praying, God, revive this place. Talk to them and they'll tell you, revival didn't come the way we expected. We prayed for revival. God brought war, and through war, thousands and thousands of Syrians are praying to accept Jesus every single day. Persecution came. Go in the book of Acts, when the church was comfortable. <laughs> God brought persecution. Stephen was stoned to death. And I feel like Amer the American church is one that's sleeping and God's going to bring persecution. How are you going to stand through that? How are you able to overcome that time? Only the love of Jesus. I pray that you'll fall in love with him. A few years ago, God called me into ministry when I was 16. And when I was 17, I led my first ever mission trip to an Islamic town in Tanzania. And I'm not going to go deep into that story. But when I went into that village, I was caught and thrown into prison. And I wanted to stop ministry then. I was like, God, I'm only 17. <laughs> Why are you letting these people throw me into prison? I don't want to be in here. I want to be out there and share the love of Jesus and tell them about you. But I was locked in prison for three months because of my faith. And that was one of the most intimate moments that I had with God in my life. God used that experience and shaped me and made me who I am today. Even in prison, even in persecution, when we were beaten every day in that horrible prison, I always tell people, you look at American prisons, these are like five-star hotels compared to where I was. But through all that, because I love God so much, and God revealed more of himself to me, we started sharing the gospel in prison. A person prayed to accept Jesus, then two, then three, then four. In three months, we had a church of like 30 people in prison, praying and worshiping God every day. 
the government heard about, well, this little boy that you've locked in here is almost transforming the entire prison to become a church, then they're like, okay, I guess we should kick him out. <laughs> and that's how I was released from prison. And I thought that's going to be the end of it. For other times, I have been thrown into prison. I don't know how many times I've been stoned for my faith. One thing that I remember that I want to share with you was several years ago, after all the prison experience and all the being stoned and all that, I was like, God, I'm ready for a break. Can I have a year of peace or two years of peace? And God was like, well, I have a mission to send you. So he sent me into this other town, again, 100% Muslim. And my mom wasn't happy. She knew something was going to happen. Even when I was leaving my hometown, Mwanza, to go to Kondoa, this Islamic town, I knew I may never be coming back. So I had this fight within me, should I go or should I stay? But what God has done for me, there's no way I can keep it to myself. I have to go and tell other people about it. There's a lot of Muslims out there in this specific village that will go to hell if no one takes that step to go and share the good news of Jesus to them. Now, it's not easy, but someone has to go. And God chose me to go at that time. And so I had to say yes or say no. And I chose to go. And there was 12 or 13 of us that went to Kondoa. And we would go every day, you know, tell people about Jesus and share the gospel, same way we do on the islands, and go home to home and, you know, see if we can get a person of peace and who will open their home to us and we'll share the good news with them. And if they pray to accept Jesus, then they'll be the person that will introduce us to other people. And so we are going all this place and telling people about Jesus. And again, it's an Islamic town, so no one was saying yes. But Tanzania is one of the most hospitable countries that I know. We know no stranger. Now, we have our differences. We are from different tribes. And we may have different religions. You know, but still, there's that hospitality that we have. You know, no one's going to just come and kill you because you showed at their home. So they were opening their homes. These Muslims were opening their homes for us and would go and sit with them until we mentioned anything about Jesus. Then things changed. And so one of the leaders in the community who I love so much right now, his name is Yahya. He went and told everyone. He mobilized a group of people and told everyone in the village, well, there's Christians 
They love come and they're going to try to tell you about Jesus. Don't open your homes for them. Don't listen to them. And we're going to send them away from our town. We don't want them here. And they did that for two, three days. But again, people still wanted us to go to their homes and talk whatever we wanted to share, but they wouldn't accept Jesus. So Yahya saw that his mission had failed and decided to use another tactic. So he mobilized the same group that he had, and everywhere our team went, they would come and stone us. They were like, we'll keep doing this until the day you decide to leave. Now, let me be honest with you. I'm not standing here in front of you and tell you I'm Paul. <laughs> I'm nowhere to Paul. Let me tell you, there's been many, many times that I've wanted to quit. I mean, when you're seeing blood coming, <laughs> I'm like, God, is it worth it? In my flesh, you want to quit. I'm nowhere to Paul. I'm just sharing you, with you God can use anyone. We are all broken people. And it's amazing what God can do with your life if you just say, here I am, Lord. But to arrive at that point, you have to fall in love with Jesus. And that's why I'm here today to tell you, fall in love with Jesus. If you don't know how much God loves you, just look at the cross. It will tell you everything. He loves you that much. So fall in love with him. And so they are throwing rocks to us and all that stuff and days passes and we didn't leave even though we wanted too many, many times. And then came the last day. Only us in our team knew that it was time for us to leave. No one in the village had prayed to accept Jesus and I was okay with that. Because it's not our mission to change people's lives. We do not have any power to make anyone accept Jesus. That's the work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What he's commanded you and I to do is to go and share. So we went and did our part. It's God's part to grow the seed. It's God who comes and waters. It's him who brings conviction to people's hearts. So I, I didn't have any problem that these people had not prayed to accept Jesus because I knew the time we had spent in this city was not in vain. God's going to use that word. He's going to grow this word. And these people, one of these days, whether we are alive or not, they'll change. And so our last day, and each morning, would walk into different ways, go and prayer walk for the village. So each leader went their own way that would go every single day and have a time for prayer, Thank God for entire ministry on, on this village and then we'll come back in the afternoon, get on the bus and go back home. That early morning, as I am walking towards where I was going and praying, who do I see? Yahya, the leader that had mobilized people to come where we are every day and stone us. So he comes to me and I am worried because I'm like, okay, I know this guy. And why am I alone? I shouldn't. <laughs> Where's my team? 
Yeah, hair comes towards my direction. I try not to look at his eyes, but he comes towards me. I'm like, okay, Jesus, maybe this is the day. He comes straight and pulls up a huge knife. And his exact word were, Yusuf, we've peacefully asked y'all to leave. He didn't use y'all. That's a Texan word. But <laughs> we've asked you to leave, <laughs> but you've stayed. We've even stoned you, but you've stayed. He had no idea we were leaving that day. So I am here today to end your life. Now, just a side thing. In the Islamic religion, killing Christians is part of worship. You know, okay, I'll say this. We can go America with all its greatest army. I don't know if it's the greatest army in the world. I have no idea. But y'all can go and destroy ISIS. But after ISIS, there's going to rise another something similar to ISIS. Because the Quran tells them when ISIS are doing what they are doing is because it's part of their worship. The Quran has commanded them to do so. So another group is going to rise up and do the same thing. We have Al-Shabaab in Somalia. They do the same things because the Quran tells them to do so. So Muslims, when they are killing Christians, that's part of worship. And so Yahya, to come with a knife and wanting to kill me, it was part of the worship. And the Quran tells them when you kill a Christian, then you have you know, a higher level in heaven. There will be rewards for you in heaven. They are promised to have 70 wives in heaven. I don't know. I only have one. <laughs> but Muslims are promised 70. <laughs> and they'll go and kill just to have 70 wives and to have alcohol. Go and It's amazing. When you read the Quran, like, really? But they'll do all that. Anyway, back to the testimony, the story. Yahya pulls his knife and he says, I'm here to end your life. And so before I had even responded, because, you know, I'm thinking, he pulls his knife and stabs me. Now, thank God, well, yeah, thank God he didn't aim me here or anywhere else. But if you look at my hand, I can show you closer when Never we are done here. You can see I have a cut here. So he stabs me here, and there's like blood going everywhere. And I'm standing, looking at him. Well, Kayla, you can tell me, because I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse. I don't know if you can kill someone by just stabbing them at their hand, but I don't know. Anyway, he was smart enough to know that that's not going to kill me. <laughs> so he raised his arm again and wanted to stab me for the second time. And as he was lowering his knife, he looked at me and thought, you are crazy, you are not defending yourself. So he decides to ask Yusuf, why are you not defending yourself? While his knife is like here above me. Now, I have 
a million thoughts running in my mind. I'm already thinking about my mother, I'm thinking about my friends, you know, and then I'm thinking about heaven. And I, I also know I don't have an hour to give a holy explanation to him. Maybe he's only given me 30 seconds or 20 seconds. What am I going to say in 20 seconds? Should I tell him, Yahya, today is our last day. We are leaving your town. Because I could easily told him that, but I had no idea if he's going to let me leave anyway. He had decided to kill me. Or should I use my last breath and tell him about the love of Jesus? In my flesh, I wanted to tell him, we are going back home, just let us live peacefully. But at that moment, and I don't believe it was me, because I felt like something else had taken over my body. And these words came into my mouth, and I told him, Yahya, because again, it's very quickly, because I, I don't have an hour. Yahya, your God has asked you to kill me and kill Christians. My God has asked me to love you. You can kill me today, but tomorrow, if you repent your sins and accept this love, this free gift of salvation that we've been sharing, my God will forgive you and one day you and I will be in heaven together. That's it. Then I was ready. Jesus, here I am. I'm coming. Yahya looked at me. I think he thought I was crazy, which, yes, I am crazy. <laughs> he looked at me. I think all I said didn't make sense to him. I don't know what happened, but he didn't stab me. He turned around and left. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for giving me another day to leave. Went back to where our team was and shared with them about Yahya. We hold our hands and we prayed, if God, you can save Yahya. Because I know something happened to him. We prayed for the city. We packed our things and left. A week later, <laughs> oh, God bless my mom. I was praying and I was compelled to go back to the same village. And telling my mom that I'm going back wasn't the easiest thing. She's like, really? <laughs> you can't even wait? Went back to Kondoa. And Yahya was the first person we met. And this time he came to us without a knife. And he said, Yusuf, those words that you say to me have not left me yet. Where do you get that kind of assurance? I've been a devoted Muslim. I worship five times a day. I perform sacrifices. I've studied the Quran. I know where each verse in the Quran is. 
I can recite the Quran from the opening page to the last, but I've never in my life have the same assurance as you do. Where did you get that? I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Took my Bible and pointed to him, to Christ. He was the first person that prayed to accept Jesus in this city. And through him, God has transformed Kondoa. Many people came to know the Lord because of Yahya. Just like Paul, he persecuted believers, and now, you know, he's sharing the same God. Why am I sharing all this? It's so simple. The love of God. How can we stand through persecution? Paul says, I know neither death nor life, nor powers, not even any government, not even ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab, nothing, not angels or demons, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because the love of Christ compels us to love God's people, compels us to go when the going get tough, it's the love of Christ that holds us. And because of that, we are able to go and tell others about Jesus. I have no idea where you are in your relationship with Jesus. But do you love him enough that you are willing to lay down everything so that he can use you? Because here's the thing. You know, we can pretend here at church. I don't know you. Your pastor may not know you. You can pretend. You can come sing songs, give, and do everything that Christians do. But God examines the heart. And he knows. When trial and persecution come, there's no way you'll stand. But persecution is coming. So how much do you love God? How much do you hunger for him? And he won't use you until he knows he owns you. Because he doesn't want to share credit. He doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else. Do you want God to use you? Now, hear me please. Not everyone's going to be called to experience everything I have experienced. I am so thankful that God allowed me to do that and experience that. Maybe yours is just simple. Go and share with someone next door. You don't have to get on a plane and go to Tanzania. God, can, God is the same. The same one who's working in Tanzania, works here in Dallas, works here in Oxford, works in China, works everywhere. But he won't use you until he knows that you fully love him. So that's where I want to live tonight. Examine yourself. 
and let God use you. If you need to repent, repent. And one thing that we Christians need to do is repent on our repentance. Because a lot of the time we have half repentance. When God look at us like, mm-mm. But surrender to him. He'll use you in an amazing way. Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. The name that's above all names. We know there's no other name through which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. The name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We worship you, King. We worship you, Father. We bless your holy name from the rising of the sun to its setting. Your name is being praised among nations. So we praise you. We love you. We worship you. Father, thank you for each one of us that's here tonight. Invade our lives. Take over, Father. We surrender it all to you. We lay it to your throne. Take it all, Father. Take it all. Father, I pray for blessings for this church. Whatever is being done here, may it be pleasing to you, Lord. May they not take any credit because I can feel it, Lord. You are moving in this place. Yes, Father. <laughs> Be glorified, Jesus. In your name we pray.